as I kind of was looking through them and, and whatnot, I thought, you know, there's maybe a reason why we don't seek out the minor prophets. Maybe we don't necessarily avoid them, but we don't seek them out. And it's because most of those minor prophets in the, in the back half of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, excuse me, um, is, is because they're often a message of judgment on the nations, mostly Israel, sometimes Judah, uh, but uh, there's as as those nations uh, that were God's chosen people uh, left uh, their relationship with God, uh, judgment uh, came upon them, and finally resulting in uh, the Babylonian army uh, coming in and. Uh, destroying the land and taking the people captive and put them into exile in Babylon. And, and as we read, you know, the, like the book of Daniel especially, where Daniel realizes what's going on. He's reading uh, some of the, uh, the books of the Old Testament uh, and, and realizing that, that uh, the time for the uh, Jewish exile from their homeland is is nearing an end. The prophetic uh, messages of the prophets uh, indicate that uh, the 70 years exile in Babylon was about done. And so Daniel did an interesting thing, is that he began to repent. He repented for his, his fellow countrymen. He repented for the sins of the nation of Israel so that God would relent in his judgment and bring the, the exiles of Judah and Israel back into the promised land. You know, it was a long and, and difficult journey. And so there's, you know, this idea that, you know, when the minor prophets speak, it's, it's really one of warning. It's one of judgment to come. It's one of impending judgment. And I, I thought, you know, there's, there's reasons for that. Jesus referred to the minor prophets in his lament over Jerusalem and Israel's unwillingness to hear them. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he's, he's uh, ascending up to the Jerusalem Mount there. And Matthew 23 and verse 37, is, this is what he is lamenting as he is approaching uh, the city. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And so Jesus is lamenting and just saying, what could have been if you had just turned your hearts to me, but you have, you have refused to hear those who were sent to you, and you stoned them, and you killed them, and uh, here I am, your Messiah, and you even refuse to hear me. And so, unfortunately, uh, the, the upshot of all of that was judgment came upon Jerusalem again, and this time it was the Romans, and uh, in 70 AD, they, they destroyed the city, they broke every wall, they burned every building, and, and left it in ruins. 
Now, generally, we don't like to talk about dark subjects, especially on a Thanksgiving weekend. And, and I really pondered this aspect today. You know, it's like, you know, it's the beginning of the Christmas season. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. And, you know, we like something happy and chipper and, and uh, you know, kind of upbeat and that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm looking at these minor prophets and I'm just feeling this, this pull to, uh, to speak out of them today. Mainly one of the minor prophets, Joel. You know, like I said, I, I just felt this sort of pressure to kind of put a happy face on this somehow, and I don't know that there is, but maybe in a, in a, in a sense, um, maybe in a backdoor sense, we will uh, we'll take a look at that. But I think one of the things, you know, like Thanksgiving holiday, you know, and um, I know we uh, think about Thanksgiving, you know, the, the feast or, you know, whatever we choose to eat, and usually in abundance and some you know, delicacies and traditions and, and things that we very much enjoy, you know, are part of that celebration. And maybe there's football in the afternoon. And, and, I, and I wonder if sometimes we don't get away too far from the, the meaning of the holiday, Thanksgiving, to give thanks to God. If you ever read the accounts of some of the first Thanksgivings held in, in this nation, you know, on the North American continent, and and uh, I, we, my wife and I were just recently in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, and they actually claimed the first Thanksgiving. I know we always think about Plymouth, right? And, uh, you know, uh, the pilgrims celebrating the first Thanksgiving up there. But uh, St. Augustine actually says, you know, that that happened down here uh, way before the pilgrims arrived, you know, and uh, interesting history. Uh, but uh, anyways, they gathered for the express purpose. Of course, it was harvest, and, and uh, they had survived in the new world, and uh, they thought the appropriate thing is to gather what God has blessed us with, with those he has blessed us with, and expressly give thanks to God. And I think that's, let's, let's not lose that part, Okay. Uh, in, in the first chapter of Romans, I was just contemplating this this morning. It's not particularly in my notes, but Paul is writing the Roman believers, and he was talking about how mankind has turned their hearts against God. And one of the passages in there, it doesn't seem all that you know, exciting, but I think it's a key to the other judgments that are listed there and how man has turned his back on God. And it says, and neither were they thankful is that although they knew God, they knew the truth, they turned their backs on the truth, and neither were they thankful. And I, I wonder if as a country, the United States of America, we aren't moving in that direction. Uh, that maybe there is something missing, you know, that the things that we love and the things that we enjoy, maybe there's this degree of taking them for granted. They're just expected. You know, we give no thought to where our blessings have come from. And, uh, you know, just uh, I mentioned uh, just a moment ago as we gave thanks to the Lord that uh, this morning is coming in from the cold. And, you know, it's that first experience with zero degree weather. You know what I'm talking about? You get out there in the cold and you're just thinking, man, I forget how cold this is, and uh, so I was, I was walking into the building, you know, and it's cold outside, and, and I walk in, and it's warm, 
and it's well lit, and I'm just thinking, thank you, Lord. Thank you everything's on today. Thank you that the, the boiler hasn't failed. Thank you for the heat that we're feeling this morning uh, on, on such a cold day, and you know, we, uh, we can take those things for granted, and uh, I, I just think, especially at times like this, you know, it's, it's a good thing to just call those things out and thank God for that, but you know, when we see perhaps, and it, and it grows at such a pace that sometimes we don't recognize it for what it is. But um, when we see approaching signs of judgment, and I believe that we are seeing approaching signs of judgment on our country, uh, it's, it's hard to call it out. It's hard to be the negative Nancy in the room. Excuse me, ladies, and especially if you're Nancy, I, I shouldn't say that, right? Um, it, wouldn't it be a, I mean, a, a special burden th- these days to uh, uh, be named Karen? I mean, they, they abuse that name as well, you know. Um, my goodness, I try not to use those kind of terms. But anyways, it's hard to be the negative person to call those things out and just say, you know what, this is a concern. This is, this is something that we, like Daniel, might need to recognize and begin a prayer for our country and repent for how we have left God and in, in, in an increasing way left God behind out of our conversation. You know, not to get into negative subjects off scripture today, but you've seen a lot of outrage about um, drag queen story hour in schools, right? Men dressed and made up as women, uh, reading stories about men thinking they're women, women thinking they're men, to school children. And there's been outrage from parents and that sort of thing. And they're just saying, this is very normal. We should accept this. This is inclusive, yada, yada. Uh, but I just read an interesting story uh, just last night uh, about in some cities, and I thought, why, why don't we think of this and need to look into this? is that there are pastors in some cities that are going and reading Bible stories to classrooms. Talk about outrage. (laughs) There's outrage because, you know, religious people are reading their books to our children, and how terrible is that? And and the the logic somehow leaves the room. But anyway, I I thought that was a creative and wonderful way to to kind of balance uh, the picture a, a little bit. But let's talk about us. Let's talk about America. Let's talk about what we might... Correct, and I think one of the things that might help us is to recognize and be thankful for the blessings that God has given us. So a couple of signs of judgment here that should be more than obvious to us. And and let me say this before we talk about judgment. God, I don't think, judges the way that you and I probably would or often have or or might uh, in, in the sense like, okay, you've been bad, so I'm going to take my protection away from you. I don't believe that's the way God works, okay? What God does is he has defined, and, and you, we read this in the Old Testament, we read this in the New Testament, is God has defined boundaries for us, okay? What are the Ten Commandments? Those are boundaries for us, okay? These are things that you should do, these are things that you shouldn't do. And he's defining that for us. And as long as you live within these boundaries, I think of it sometimes as an umbrella, right? Uh, and, it, and it's a rainstorm everywhere else. But if you stand under this umbrella, you will escape the rain, if you will, or uh, whatever hazards are beyond the boundaries I prescribed to you. Now, Psalm 16, the writer of Psalm 16 
exclaims this, is that the boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. The things that God has called out for us as boundaries in our lives, uh, the, the writer of the psalm recognized this, and you know what, you have defined boundaries for me because these are pleasant places to live. This is pleasant ways to live. And, uh, and so you've defined that. Now, we believe, we're kind of Arminian in our theology, we believe that man has a limited free will, and we can choose to live within the boundaries, or if you will, under the umbrella of God's protection. God says, you will be protected if you live within these boundaries. But we can choose to walk out from under those boundaries and experience what is beyond those boundaries. You know, if you are using the umbrella uh, illustration, you know, we get wet in the, in the rain, in the cold rain out here. Or if, you know, you, you think of, you know, the boundaries as, as uh, uh, you know, prescribed places where we can go and where we should not go, and we can choose. We can choose to stay within those boundaries, or we can choose to exceed those boundaries, or we can walk out from under the protection of the umbrella of God's, you know, protection over us, and out into the, the rain or the consequences of, of doing that. Now, it's not God removing it, it's us exceeding those boundaries, or it's us walking out from that protection, okay? God says it's still here. He hasn't taken it away. Anytime we want, we can come back into those boundaries and experience God's protection. So if we are finding ourselves facing consequences of the judgment of, of God, judgment side of God, guess who has moved? Not God, but us. We have walked out from under his protection, and are experiencing what would naturally occur if we choose to do that. So um, let me explain that. Sometimes we talk in language that, you know, God removes his protection, and I don't think he does. I think we have walked out from under his protection, okay? So it's, it's us who have, who have strayed away, and not God who is being revengeful on us. So what signs might we see of approaching judgment? Well, this is one you might not think of. It's it's in the national conversation, and that's, that's the rate of inflation, okay? It's the rate of inflation. Let me, let me couch it in some of the uh, Old uh, Testament minor prophets here, some of the language that they use to describe what I believe is like inflation, okay? This is Joel chapter 1, opening verses of Joel. We're starting verse 2 and going to read verse 3 as well. It says, hear this, you elders, and give ear all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust have eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. So what are we looking at? A picture there. What, what, what is Joel, the, the prophet, talking about there? Well, he's talking about the abundance of the land is being consumed with no benefit to the inhabitants of the land. And everything that they grow for their benefit against future hunger has been consumed. And, uh, you know, because the people in Israel, in large part, were religious on the outside, 
you know, on the way that, you know, they would maybe attend the temple and participate in the sacrifices. So on the outside, they were, they were religious, but on the inside, they were far from God and took for granted the blessings of God. And, and God says, you know, when, when that happens, you walk out from my protection, the, the locust devour what you are trying to produce. And I think that that's an apt picture of what happening with inflation. Now, they put a kind of the best look on inflation, you know, and saying that inflation is about 8%, 7%. And I want to say, where are you living? Because I want to go there, right? <laughs> we see examples of inflation much more than that. And, uh, you know, some commodities and things that, that, you know, are staples, you know, have gone up, you know, 50%. Some, some have doubled in price and, and in, in just a very short uh, period of time. And, and that's what I believe the Bible also calls, in the minor prophets uh, especially, the devourer, okay? You know, it's like if you have food set aside, you know, and, and uh, you know, for future needs, and uh, while you're gone, uh, rodents or, you know, come in and, and eat that and spoil that and make it unusable for you. That's a picture of the devourer, right? And inflation is such a thing as that. And the thing is that no matter where you, you have your money invested or saved or, you know, uh, even if it was under your pillow, um, uh, inflation reaches to that and takes the value of the purchasing power of your money. God said that, hey, if, if you will be obedient, if you'll stay within the boundaries that I have prescribed for you, this is, this is what God's promises comes out of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 11. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Think about that. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So if, if you live under the boundaries and are thankful for what I have uh, blessed you with, I will rebuke, I'll keep the devourer at bay. He won't destroy the things that you have worked for. He won't destroy the things that you are saving for future needs. But, you know, I think sometimes we, we don't connect our behavior or our attitudes to, uh, you know, Things like inflation, it seems so far removed and maybe a different subject. You know, we don't, inflation doesn't seem like a church subject, does it? You know, we, we talk about inflation, we're talking, you know, economics, we're talking about, you know, out there. But really, it is something that affects us at home and something that we are powerless against to prevent. And God says, you know what, I will, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes if you stay within the boundaries that, that I have prescribed for you and, and the protections that I will afford you if you obey what I have set up. And understand this, we can disconnect the, from the warnings of God. We can, we can fall far from that. We can lose our thankfulness. We can just kind of have this sort of expectation and assume that all of these things are, are owed to us and that, you know, we... Uh, we deserve these things, you know. I probably haven't said it for a while, but I have often said that, you know, if there's one word out of the English language I could do away with, I, I don't like the word, I don't like what it implies, is the word deserve, okay? You know, it's like, oh, just get it, you, you deserve it. 
You know, doesn't it just feel good, you know? It's like, yeah, just, you know, be irresponsible and have fun and, and get whatever you want or whatever because you, you deserve it. Well, please tell me, what have we done to deserve all of that? I, it, it doesn't square with, you know, my thinking. But we do like to think, well, you know, I do deserve it. I do deserve it. And I, I just want to, I beg the question, well, what have you done to deserve whatever it is you think you have deserved? Um, it's, it's an illusion. You know, it's like, well, you know, if you go to work and you work hard and you deserve a paycheck. No, you don't. No, you don't deserve a paycheck. You have earned a paycheck, okay? That's an obligation. That's not deserving anything. It's earning it, and it's owed to you. You can be grateful for somebody, you know, maybe they've done something nice for you and, and you want to do something for them. Well, that's just an expression of gratefulness and, uh, you know, and giving thanks, you know, for that. But this idea that somehow we deserve things, you know, when we're deserving, if you will, of things, there's, there's not thankfulness associated with that. You, you can tear this apart and just maybe jot a, a note down to think about it at some point. But when, I'm, when I deserve something, there, there's no need to give thanks. You know, it's like, oh, oh, here, because you deserve it. Thank you. It's like, well, you're right. I do deserve that. I will have that. <laughs> and we can walk away thinking that somehow, and I think deceivedly, that we are deserving of such things. Well, understand this. Uh, Galatians 6, 7 uh, says this. It says, don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So we can think that somehow, you know, that we deserve from God his blessings. And when we think we deserve his blessings, there's no need to be thankful because we deserve it, okay? And we know that that is an illusion, that's a deception. I, I'm probably messing with you. I know we're kind of hardwired to think that, you know, we, we're deserving people, and, and that might make you mad for me to say, no, you aren't. <laughs> And, you know, we can't even earn our salvation from, from God. So how can we, if you will, deserve his blessing? Well, if you've been good, well, you know, then, then you deserve, you know, if, if that was true, if that was true, then we could just be good and deserve salvation. But the Bible says you, you, you can't be. You're not good enough. So if salvation, and it can't even be earned, you know, we can't even do enough good things to earn salvation where God is obligated to give us salvation. So how in the world can we even think that, you know, we can be good enough to deserve his blessing? It doesn't flow, if you will, from the reality of what Scripture teaches. So if we are given what we do not deserve, what does that produce? Thanksgiving. If we assume that we deserve what God is giving us, we just deserve it. No need to be thankful, okay? Well, Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived, God isn't mocked. Whatever we sow, we will also reap. Hosea, another minor prophet of the Old Testament, chapter 8, verse 7, says, They sow to the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. The stock has no bud, it shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens would swallow it up. Again, another judgment here, talking about whatever it is that we do, we will reap the results of that. If we... If we do well, we will reap the results of obedience. If we, if we obey God, if we stay within the prescribed boundaries that he has set for us, then we will reap good from that. We should also give thanks. So um, anyways, 
when I, you know, hear the news and they have the inflation reports and the market reacts up or down based on, you know, inflation's up, inflation's down, whatever, um, I think, you know, that, that's a sign of impending judgment. And you can see the examples in other countries who are far from God um, and what inflation has done for them. And it's the devour let loose. And we need to pay attention to these things and repent. Maybe we don't feel personally responsible for inflation. That's, that's you know, uh, beyond the point. But our country, our country needs repentance. And it starts with us, you know, and we, we think, well, why should I repent? Because it's all those other people that are doing things that, you know, it's their fault. Well, we're part of this country and it begins with us. And we begin to repent of our waywardness from God. And we see, you know, things portrayed on the, on the news that, that uh, are signs that we have turned our back on God. And, and that should break our hearts. I, I know I, I hear all the time, I just quit watching the news. I just couldn't stand it, you know, all the negativity and all that. It just ruined my day, and, and I just, you know, kind of move on from there. Um, and I get that, um, but there's no way we avoid seeing it. And what it does, it should break our hearts and say, God, we have strayed. We have turned our backs on you. Our hearts are not after you. And we repent of our thinking that somehow, we either deserve what you get or, or just exclude you and think these are the results of our own goodness. And it's like turning a, a, a great ship. It just takes a long time to do that. But it needs to begin with us. Another sign of judgment that's probably way too familiar and we have heard way too much about it is um, sickness and disease. Um, you know, we are in the era of covid and uh, they're even trying to resurrect more mandates and for this winter and, and how we should all go back to wearing masks and all that, and that's up to you. Um, but they say now it will always be with us. And you know what, I think I, I see that as a, as a sign of impending judgment. Uh, anytime that sickness and disease was rampant, and, and we see that portrayed time and again uh, in the Old Testament of Israel and and uh, what was going on there, um, it reflected their relationship or maybe lack of a relationship with God, sickness and disease. Deuteronomy 28 and uh, verses 58 through 61, a few verses here. Uh, again, this is God's warning. It's not like this came as a surprise. God was very clear. And if you read the opening verses of chapter 28, you see, you see many verses talking about God's blessing and and if you obey and, and if you live, uh, you know, in relationship with me, these are all the wonderful blessings that will occur. And then God says, but if you don't, this is what you can expect. And this is kind of jumping into the, the narrative here. It says, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues. Did you know that was in there? <laughs> what do they say? COVID will always be with us now. It's just part of the landscape, all right? It's just what we get now. Great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they will cling to you 
Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Then it goes on, but I read that to say we need to recognize that pestilence and plagues and sickness and disease are all signs of impending judgment, okay? I, just, I want us to recognize this. And those countries uh, that turn their back on God, this is the expectation, is that these diseases will cling to us. And, and I hope we can raise awareness about this. And it's not to walk around in doom and gloom, but it is, you know, for us to lecture others about all of this, is that we can pray. Let me, let me say this. If it doesn't break our heart and cause us to repent, then we have missed the point is that it should affect our hearts. Jeremiah the prophet in the book of Lamentations, he says, my eye causes my heart to break. The things that I see, and what is the book of Lamentations all about? It's all about the judgments that have fallen on countrymen, upon his nation. He says, my eye affects my heart. And, and, and I think in a way that, that needs to be us. We can't harden our heart and, you know, because and feel self-righteous. Well, this is, you know, everybody else's fault because, you know, we have done this or we haven't done that. No, I, I think we need to allow our eyes to affect our heart and say, you know, the things that we see and the things that we hear, those are signs of judgment. And, and Jesus, we repent. We repent. We repent for our country. These, we may not be specifically guilty of the things that are going on, but we recognize the signs. And this is the place where we live. And the signs of judgment are marching here and we repent. Uh, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, you know, that my people are, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We, we don't think about these things. These are things that we just think don't mean anything. They have no attachment to us, but the, let me just say that they do. They do. And when we see these things happen, we, those are to call us to greater dependence of God. You know, God's judgment never comes out of nowhere, whether national or even personal judgment, um, it's not that all of a sudden God just removes his favor suddenly. Uh, early on, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit will seek us to convict us of our sin by gentle but persistent speaking to us. If we ignore that voice, then the severity of God's correction increases until we reach the point where we are left to our own devices as we continue away from God and, and judgment is released until we turn our hearts back to God. When we sin, don't repent or change our ways, we walk out from under that protection of God and are subject to judgment. We keep doing things in our own strength and, and thinking that we are in control. But, you know, control is, a, is an illusion. And uh, I think we need to, we need to uh, come to that reality right away because sooner or later in our lives, we're in things that we thought were under our control can change in a moment to reveal that, you know what, we don't have control. <laughs> and things, you know, can, can careen out of, out of con our control in, in such a uh, short time. You know, control is an illusion. Here's from Haggai, uh, another minor prophet, chapter 1, verse 6. It says, you have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but don't have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. That's a picture of the devourer. That's a, that's a picture of God's judgment. What is the answer? Where do we go from here? 
Repentance is the key. Um, Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. So God never leaves us hopeless, but we can return to him with all of our heart. Hope is still going to be found when we turn from our wicked ways and seek the Lord. And his promise goes on to say this. This is out of Joel chapter 2 and verse 25 and 26. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Do you remember, do you remember where we started with that? All these series of locusts eating what previous waves of locusts have left behind and what little was left behind was consumed by the next wave of of locusts, and, and if there was anything left from that, then the next wave of locusts, well, this is God's promise. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people will never be put to shame. Oh, I tell you what, let's just call upon the Lord today as we conclude and we turn our hearts to uh, the Lord's Supper today that we're going to remember. You know, this, this should always remind us uh, to be thankful to the Lord. And it brings us back to that whole idea we have no control. You know, we might think we're strong and mighty and in control. But, you know, when it comes to life, who can extend his life? The Bible says, who can extend your life for a, a single day? We aren't in control. And there is always for us that we should be mindful of everything that we enjoy and everything that we have is given to us from God. Now, we usually present a portion of Scripture found in 1 Corinthians 11 where it talks about what the Lord has revealed to the Apostle Paul about the night in which he was betrayed and took bread. But there's more to that chapter. We just kind of present the summary, usually for time's sake. Well, one of the things, if you, if you read before that, what was going on? Why did Paul bring this up with the Corinthians? Why did he write about it? Well, it's because they were acting in very unthankful ways. And what should have been a celebration of what Jesus had done for them became a selfish event in the house of God. Instead of honoring and waiting for one another, they would grab for what they could get, and if somebody was left without, left hungry, they didn't care. Even though they had more than enough to go around. And that's why Paul says, therefore who eats his bread and drinks his cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And what is that unguilty manner? I think it's, it's approaching this without thanksgiving. Because you know thanksgiving will humble us. You know, giving thanks to God and recognizing will change our attitudes and our behavior. And so today, as I was thinking about this celebration of the Lord's Supper together, I asked that, Lord, turn our thoughts back to you. Turn our attitudes to thankful. And Lord, let's recognize what's happening right now in our country. And, and when we see these things happen, and, and there's more. We mentioned, you know, inflation. We talked about sickness and disease. There's, there's many more, but I think we understand and I think we can identify and we can look 
And so, you know, these are results of us. And by us, I mean our country. And we live in this country, turning our backs away from God. And let's be those, even though it may seem like a long time and very difficult to do, that'll return to the Lord with our whole heart. And let's turn this ship in the, from the direction it's currently headed back to thankfulness and relationship with God. Amen? So Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you today. Lord, in giving thanks today, we'll just say, Lord, we repent for ourselves, for our country. Lord, we see impending judgment all around us. And Lord, we want to be the first to recognize that, Lord, you are in control, not ourselves. Lord, when we try to take control, things spin out of control, and we recognize that we need your help. And so, Lord, as we receive this bread in this moment, this holy moment, help us to be thankful and to give thanks for all the goodness that you have given us. And, Lord, that we continue to live that out each and every day. So we receive this bread with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat this bread together. Thank you, Lord. In the same way, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying as to Jesus also gave thanks in the same way. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so, Lord, today, in the same manner, we offer thanks today for this blood, which represents the washing away of our sin, the atonement of what we have done wrong to make us acceptable in your sight. Lord, not of our own strength, not of our own works, not of our own doing, but by your grace and by your mercy, Lord, you've made this possible for us by your blood. And Lord, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink this cup together. Heavenly Father, help us to rend our hearts and not our garments. Lord, help us, guided by your spirit, by the strength that you provide, Lord, begin to change what's on the inside the attitudes of our heart, the awareness of our spirit, and Lord, not just to make external demonstrations of repentance alone, but Lord, to really change and begin to pray and repent and turn our hearts back to God. So Lord, as we go from this place, and Lord, as we begin to celebrate the first advent of God becoming man, coming to earth, Lord, I pray that we would just marvel again and again and be thankful for what all this represents. And Lord, as we look for your coming again, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thankfulness, amen? Let's not take it for granted. <laughs> Let's live it out. Let's be it and live in repentance. God bless you. Thanks for coming to the house of the Lord today.